so that I may speak with some integrity. Some of the things I want to say this evening are not dissimilar to the things that were laid on my heart this morning. I'm aware of that. I don't wish to repeat, but I'm aware there is a thread running through. Paul writing says, My heart's desire is that all Israel may be saved. I'm not the Apostle Paul, but I understand something of his desire and for the concern of those who are going to a lost eternity. Some people are prepared to listen to those who are acknowledged as leaders in their field. They may be astronomers, they may be scientists or engineers or architects or financial experts or medical experts or philosophers. And some people are prepared to listen to what they have to say. Their lifetime study and experience makes them worthy of listening to what they have learned. And some of them have a particular ability to communicate to you what they have learned, and they're always well worth listening to. So when a highly educated man, who was taught by the foremost educator of his time, writes a peerless treatise on a subject and gives an answer to many questions, you would do well to listen to what he would have to say and listen very well to what he has to say. When such a man has had his understanding turned by 180 degrees from where he was to where he is now, whatever the subject, you would do well to listen to what has made him change his mind. A man that went from a position of pride and arrogance in his religion to be willing to lose all for fellow men, I repeat, you'd do well to listen to what he's saying. I sometimes feel like I want to say, I don't know what it will take you to listen, but I do know the Lord God has got to make you listen, not to me, but to his word. I remember reading a long time ago the motto of a Bible college, and it was this, to explain simply, you need to understand profoundly. Some are able to hold your interest in a subject that you're not particularly interested in. Think of a brilliant surgeon. You may not be interested in medical things, but they have a way of communicating to you very complex things of their subject that captures you. Think of an engineer. You may not be interested in engineering, but imagine listening to Isambard Kingdom Brunel, who built many things, but the railways, how he built a railway from London to Bath, how he engineered the tunnels and the bridges and the railway. You'd be fascinated by that, wouldn't you, even if you're not interested in engineering. Or a world-class mountaineer who has climbed Everest, you'd want to listen to how they achieved it, the obstacles they overcome. I want to read you something of a man who in many ways was a philosopher. He's passed away now. He lived and fought in the Second World War in both France and in North Africa. After the war, he went to France again. He's an Englishman and spent much time there in helping to rebuild that country. And listen to what he has to say. We look back on history, and what do we say? Empires rising and falling, revolutions and counter-revolutions succeeding one another, wealth accumulating and wealth dispersed, one nation dominant and then another. In one lifetime, I have seen my fellow countrymen, he's an Englishman, don't forget, ruling over a quarter of the world, and the great majority of them convinced 
in the world, or what was at that time a favourite song, that God had made them mighty and would make them mightier yet. I heard a crazed Austrian announce the establishment of a German Reich that was to last for a thousand years. An Italian clown report that the calendar will begin again with his assumption of power. A murderous Georgian brigand in the Kremlin acclaimed by the intellectual elite as wiser than Solomon and more enlightened than Ashkara and more humane than Marcus Aurelius. I've seen America wealthier than all the rest of the world put together with a superiority of weaponry that would have enabled the Americans, had they so wished, to outdo Alexander or Julius Caesar in the range and scale of conquest. All in one lifetime, gone with the wind. England, now part of an island off the coast of Europe, threatened with further dismemberment. Hitler and Mussolini seen as buffoons. Stalin, a sinister name in a regime that he helped to found and totally dominated for three decades. Americans haunted by the fears of running out of the precious fluid that keeps their motorways roaring. By memories of a disastrous military campaign in Vietnam and the windmills of Watergate. Can this really be what life is about? This worldwide soap opera going on from century to century, from era to era, as old discarded sets and props litter the earth? Surely not. Was it to provide a location so repetitive and ribald a production as this that the universe was created and man, or Homer sapiens as he liked to call himself, heaven knows why, came into existence? I can't believe it. If this were all, then the cynics, the hedonists, and the suicides are right. The most we can hope for is a life of amusement, gratification of our senses, and then death. But it is not all. Behind the debris of these solemn supermen, self-styled imperial diplomats, there stands a gigantic figure of one, because of whom, by whom, in whom, and through whom alone, mankind may still have peace. The person of Jesus Christ. I present him as the way, the truth, and the life. Do you know him? That man served the rest of his life in serving his country in various ways, and in many ways ended up as a philosopher and was converted to Christianity. Hence, he wrote that. <clears throat> so imagine a man mighty in the scriptures who makes a statement so startling and so important, you have to listen and pay close attention to what he says. When a lifetime of study and observation is summed up in a single sentence, it must be worth considering what he has to say. Turn with me to the chapter we read together, Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. What has changed this man from a persecutor 
to a pastor. From religious pride to religious humility. A determination to obtain glory and willing to be accursed if he could save some of his fellow men. What changed that man? I have recently had one of those significant birthdays with a zero on the end. And you pause and look back, don't you? It's right that we should and wonder. If you can come in and out of a place like this and be untouched, then I have failed. And the men who come here have failed. I am concerned, and the weight of that concern increases rather than decreases, as I mentioned this morning. We think of hell. The worm dieth not. It's speaking something of your conscience. We can't imagine hell, but let us try. You're there. You know there's no escape, and your mind goes back to your life and the times when you sat under the gospel of Jesus Christ and paid no heed to it again. And you will be saying something, if only, if only, if only. And there will never be any release from that. Terrible darkness. There is in this statement here, truth, by this statement I mean Romans 8.1, in every single word. I'm not going to go through every word this evening, we haven't got time. He begins, there is. This is what Paul is in, in essence is saying, now listen, I've got something important to say, there is. I recently sat listening to a sermon, it was my actual birthday, and the sermon topic was adoption. And as the sermon went on, my heart was warmed. And I hope sometimes your heart is warmed by the things you hear. And for a few moments during that service, and a little while afterwards, I felt a joy in my heart. Having reached a milestone, rather than being anxious, there was a joy in my heart. I'm now closer than I was before. It hasn't lasted long, but it was there for a while. I long that you have something of that joy set before you. You know the phrase, um, you, people may have heard it, you say, well, I'm the wrong side of 60. And an old man said, no, I'm not, I'm the right side of 60. I hope you can grasp something of that. Because there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And unless you can grab that truth and believe it, you will never say, I'm the right side of getting older. You'll still say, I wish I was younger. Life's more complicated than that. But you understand the gist of what I'm trying to get over to you. <clears throat> I would to God that every one of you now and again gets that glimpse of the truth of this so that you can rest upon it. If we were to go back in our lives and say how far short we'd fallen, we would feel condemned again and again. But the word of God says there is therefore now no condemnation. And that's primarily what I want to get over to you this evening, so that you can rest assured in these eternal truths. <clears throat> so Paul begins that statement. It is not there might be, or there is a maybe, or there is a possibility. He begins it by saying, there is. 
We've never met the Apostle Paul. I can almost imagine him standing here and thumping the desk. Listen, there is. My imagination sometimes runs away. But the emphatic nature in which he writes, I can almost imagine him speaking in the same way. Most of us long for, un- for certainties. Uncertainties we find cause us anxiety. We're not sure how things will happen. We're not sure what will happen next. Certainty brings calm and peace and security. While this verse brings absolute calm, absolute security and absolute certainty. If you can grasp it. And I pray that the Lord will help you. <clears throat> How can this man be so sure to make this statement there is? He will broker no argument. He will broker no disagreement. He is absolutely convinced of this truth. He will stand before the most powerful man in his country on trial for his very life. And in essence, he will state there is. The king said to the accused man who stood before him in chains, Thou almost persuadest me to be a Christian. Paul's defense was not to say I'm innocent and to try and explain why he hadn't done what he was accused of. He immediately grasped the opportunity to preach to the man who was accusing him who could very easily condemn him to death. He was convinced in the truth of this word and even wanted the king to understand that too. He said to that same accuser, I would to God that not only thou, but also hear me this day, both almost and altogether as I will be as I am, except for these bonds, because he stood before him in chains. He could have added, as he said to his protege later on when he writes to Timothy, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities will be able to separate me. Sorry, I've misquoted there Timothy and Romans, but you know what I'm trying to say. I am persuaded, he said. I, have belie- I know who I'm a believer and am persuaded that he is able to keep me to that day. But he adds to this, there is, by adding the word, therefore. It's an old adage, but it's always true. When you come across the word therefore, ask yourself, what's it there for? Go back. You need to go back and read what is there. He has written in this letter to the Romans a systematic understanding of the theology of salvation. I can't begin to go through it this evening. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones spent years on Friday evenings going through this letter to the Romans week after week, year after year. You cannot put that into one, one sermon, and I can't put it into a couple of minutes. But I just want to remind you of some of the highlights, as I understand them, of Paul's writing to this letter, so that you can grasp why this, in many ways, this Romans 8.1, is the peak of what he has to say. There are things he says afterwards, but this, in many ways, is his summary. This is his conclusion. In Romans 1, he says this, For the invisible things of him from creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by those things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. There is no excuse for every human being, wherever they are, whatever their upbringing, to have an understanding that God exists. Creation screams it. I know in our world now, in the Western world, that is put down and down and down. Please don't believe that all scientists believe 
in evolution. There are many godly scientists, men and women, who passionately believe in creation and believe in God. We don't hear from them, but they do. And they too are well worth listening to. In chapter 2, Paul goes on to explain there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. He's a Jew. He knows that the Gentiles are aware that Jews put down everyone else. But Paul is at pains to say, no, there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. We've all fallen short of that. He goes on in verse chapter 3 to say, in some ways the Jews may be more culpable rather than less because given to them were the oracles of God. We're given the Old Testament as we understand it. So in one sense they may be more culpable. And he comes to this conclusion, for we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. He goes on in chapter 4 to say this, Blessed are those whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute this sin. Cometh his blessedness upon the circumcision only or on the uncircumcision. That's his way of speaking of Jews and non-Jews. As you know, the Jews were circumcised, Gentiles weren't. For we say this faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. He's reminding the Jewish people who listen to this that Abraham was credited with righteousness before he was circumcised. Faith in Christ, faith in God, wasn't part of circumcision. It was before then, and that's why he makes this point here. And then he goes on in verse 1 of chapter 5. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He goes on in chapter 6 to say... What men? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? And those powerful words that I hope you're familiar with, God forbid. And then in verse 23 of chapter 6, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. In chapter 7, he speaks of the battle that will go on and on and on. And you know, towards the end of chapter 7, he says this statement, O wretched man that I am. So he comes to his carefully crafted argument to Romans 8 verse 1 and makes this great statement of eternal truth. He is desirous to convey to those in Rome, and and the Holy Spirit has caused it to be recorded, and wants us to know too this comforting and wonderful truth so that we can grasp it and know that this man, Apostle Paul, uniquely qualified by God, uniquely called by God, inspired by the Holy Spirit, has written this word and God has ensured that we have it in our language, in our hand, because it applies to us as much now, this evening, as it did the day he wrote it. I don't really need to remind you of the transaction that took place at Calvary, do I? How can an utterly holy God forgive all who have sinned and fallen short and yet maintain his integrity as a God of justice and perfection? Paul has dealt with that in the previous chapters. We're not going to go back over that again. What concerns me this evening is this great conclusion he has come to What concerns me is, by simple logic, there is a reverse. If there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, 
there is therefore a condemnation to those who are not in Christ Jesus. It's what drives me to speak this evening and that's why I say there are some parallels with this morning. I cannot in all honesty say as the Apostle Paul did that I, would, I am willing to be accursed for the salvation of my brethren. That's what Paul said. I cannot all in honesty say that. But I know something of that. I pray that you do. I long that God would give me ability to put over what is in here out through here and speak it to you. I do not know whether you are all Christians this evening. I do not know where you stand. But I have this unrelenting burden in my heart. I know you well enough for me to be personal for a moment. Following that significant birthday, my prayer to the Lord was, Lord, I don't know how much time I've got left. I don't know whether it's weeks, days, years, or a decade or so. May I use it for the furtherance of your kingdom. And that's my heart's desire, that God will use this poor babbler to speak and be an instrument in the salvation of souls. This letter totally demolishes the argument, I'll be all right when I stand before God. You must have met people who say that, oh, I'll be all right, I'll wait until my turn comes and then I'll be okay. Or they say, I'm no better or worse than the rest. I've lived a good life. And I'm sure you've heard people say that too. No one can stand before God and say, I'm not that bad. We have all sinned before the glory of God. Part of our problem is we are unable to grasp God's holiness. And when we say the word sin, it doesn't seem that bad. Because we can't grasp God's holiness, we can't compare it with our sinfulness. This statement is indeed so plain and indeed is explicit that you cannot misunderstand it. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm going to reverse it again. We must say there is condemnation to those who are not in Christ Jesus. You are either walking after the flesh or you are walking after the Spirit. So Paul goes on to, as he presses his argument in verse 6, he says, for we, to be carnally minded is death, to be spiritually minded is life and peace. We've got to stand before him on judgment day. Are you ready for that day? Let me ask you again. Are you ready for that day how do you live for they that live after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh but they that after the spirit the things of the spirit you say I don't like this old fashioned language you can understand this language it's not that difficult what does he mean by flesh and spirit it's an everyday expression sometimes you hear someone say they saw something extra I saw it in my flesh they say You can understand what flesh means. It's just been our human nature, our human character. And spirit means the things of God. Spirit is something we see not with our mortal eyes. We mind the things of God unseen. 
Let me pause and encourage you again, dear Christian. The Christian life is summed up between Romans 7 and Romans 8. Romans 7, Romans 8 is the walk and the faith of a Christian. There is therefore now no condemnation and all those wonderful things we've read, particularly coming towards the end of the chapter. Romans 7 is Paul confessing, unburdening himself, saying, those things that I would not do, I do. Those things that I would want to do, I don't do. And comes to that conclusion, wretched man that I am. Well, if in what in my estimation was the most godly man who ever lived, except for Jesus Christ, I can't prove that, but that's how it seems to me. If he wrestled, will we not wrestle with that nature? And so we will live between Romans 7 and Romans 8 all of our days. And when we fall, and when we fall short of, of God's standard, we, it is true, we must confess it, but we can come back to chapter 8, and we can read it again, and know that it's certain. So be encouraged. No condemnation, he says. <clears throat> Christian believer, you can lift up your head this evening, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The King of power, Lord strong and mighty, the Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. That's the end of, of Psalm 24. It is He, God, the, the, the triune God, that makes this statement. This is inspired word by the Holy Spirit. It is God's statement saying this to us to encourage. <clears throat> and it's not the future only. It is the future, but it begins now. It's so that we can live in the assurance and in the understanding that this truth is now. It would lift our spirits if we could grasp hold of this truth. I pray that we might. <clears throat> it's a legal transaction. Justification is a legal transaction that has taken place. Chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope and the glory of God. How are we justified? What does justified mean? What do we say to children in the Sunday school? Just as if I'd never. That's the simple understanding. It. You can stand before God as if you had never sinned. Why? By faith in Jesus Christ who has died in your place. The Lord has declared, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. It doesn't say maybe or possibly, it's shalt. It's an absolute affirmed truth. <clears throat> the Lord Jesus Christ has purchased salvation, forgiveness and restoration with our God. These are really what Paul is saying in this first verse of this one chapter. He is paid in full what we need to pay. And God is well pleased. How do we know God is well pleased? You might say, how can I be sure that God is well pleased with Christ's sacrifice? You want a receipt? The receipt is, he raised him on the third day. God was completely satisfied with the death of Jesus Christ. And so he raised him on the third day. Maybe sometimes you think, if only I had a certificate that was saying that you are a Christian 
and on a certain day you became a Christian and it had a signature on the, on the bottom, a heavenly signature and it was gold round the edge. I tell you, if you had such a certificate, if it came through the post tomorrow, by Tuesday you'd say, I wonder if it's real, I wonder if it's authentic. We'd be like that, wouldn't we? What we need is faith and we need to believe what Jesus Christ has done and here we have it, a summary of it in this verse, verse, first verse of Romans chapter 8. Do you read this book? I pray that you will. Do I need to take you to Calvary again? Once more see him bleeding and dying in the sinner's place? Some will come to the table in a few minutes. This do, me, do ye in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death until he come. And we come back to this, <clears throat> I think you do it every two weeks, week after week after week, to remind us, why has the Lord given us that ordinance? Because we know we're apt to forget. Hence I'm trying to remind you this evening of these wonderful truths. God commended his love towards us when? While we were yet sinners, he died for us. Shall I take you to Romans 6.23 again? For the wages of sin is death, but we have there, there are in the, in the scriptures some wonderful buts. I don't know if you've come across them. They are absolutely wonderful buts. I pray that you might find them wonderful ones here. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. <clears throat> I'm mindful the clock is going quickly. <clears throat> a man was on a train journey going across the States. This was many years ago when it, they didn't fly across the States. It was a train journey that lasted two or three days, and so you slept on the train. And there was a young girl going up and down the carriage trying to tell a fortune, trying to earn a few pennies or a few dollars as it would have been to tell a fortune. And she came to this man on one occasion and he said, no, no, I'm not interested, thank you very much. And she went off again and a few hours later she came back and pestered him again. And he said to this young girl, sit down opposite me, let me tell you my fortune. Let me tell you what God says about my fortune. And he opened his Bible and read this from Ephesians chapter 2 among whom also we had our conversation in times past, in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. That's my past, he said. That's what I used to be like. What's my present, he said, let me tell you. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, wherewith he has loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, hath quickened us together by Christ, with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's my present experience. Young lady, you want to tell me my future. Let me tell you my future. Let me tell you what God says about my future. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. No condemnation. I don't know whether that girl ever listened to what he had to say. I don't know the end of the story. This wonderful but, the gift of God, is eternal life. What a gift. A gift, a gift from God 
no one can earn it. How then can there be this wonderful gift? God has given it. And what God says cannot be taken back. The teacher in Sunday school said there is nothing that, that God can't do. And the little boy puts his hand up, excuse me miss, God cannot lie. Well it's amusing, but it's comforting to us. What God has said is true. Dear Christian, there is no greater comfort that I can bring you this evening than you to go home and read this chapter 8 verse 1 every day this week and remind yourselves of the truth of it. Whatever you are experiencing, whatever is in front of you, one day you will face God without condemnation. Indeed, you will see him or he will see you as an adopted child. Some friends of ours adopted a little boy when he was just a few weeks old. And a friend of mine said, you know what? We'd had him two weeks and I'm prepared to die for him. Well, those of us who had our own children know exactly what that feels like. This wasn't his own child. He had adopted the child. But the love bond between father and mother to this adopted child was that strong. Do you think it would be any less from God to us? You may have had disappointments. You may have had many setbacks. There may be many things in your life you bitterly regret and would like to do again. Christ has made us free from the law of sin and death. If this means nothing to you this evening, you are on the brink of eternal danger. Amen. <coughs> well, let's sing our closing hymn this evening. Hymn number 524. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Saviour's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain? For me who him to death pursued? Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my gods, should die for me? Hymn number 524. <clears throat> Oh, my.
his mystery all, the immortal dies. We can explore this strange
and the most wonderful fellowship of God the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forevermore. Amen.